it's, it's like you get to a point where you feel better, your yeah. baseline is better, and then you realize what's still missing. And so then you go in and you start to work on that. And it's just, it's that constant process of great. You didn't get to the top and then you just get to stay there forever. You realize, oh, there's another peak that I can start to work towards. Yeah. I like to say it's going up a windy hill and yeah. it's hairpin turns to do that. If you're mm -hmm. going up like a super steep, you're not actually wrapping around the mountain. You're doing like a, a series yeah. of hairpin turns. So it looks like you're back going backwards, but in reality, you're still moving forward. You're just revisiting yeah. from a different vantage point. Welcome to the TJ Tells It podcast. I'm your host, TJ, and this is your straight talk guide to the health and fitness lifestyle by a non-traditional fitness enthusiast. Have you ever said, I could never complete a 5K, lift weights, take a spin class? Do you ever think, I wish I could eat healthier, take more time for self-care, and actually stick with it? Maybe you're afraid to go to the gym because you don't know where to start or what to do, or are you just looking for a little motivation to get out the door? If any of that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Each episode, you'll hear the truth about how to start a health and fitness lifestyle with tips and tricks to staying on track and motivated, as well as the ins and outs of becoming a healthier, more optimal you. As a bonus, I'll introduce you to some of my favorite wellness enthusiasts around. Lace up your shoes and let's get this journey started. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm bringing you an interview with Taryn Burns, who's a yoga instructor extraordinaire and a friend on her own health and fitness journey. Taryn, tell the people a little bit about yourself, where you come from, how old you are, if you want to tell your age, and all those things. Yes. So I am currently in Boston, but grew up in Portland, Oregon. I am 30 and proud to be 30. No shame in my age. Lots of life lessons that happened in the early 20s that kind of got me to being a full-time yoga teacher. I was absolutely the person in college. I tried to take yoga as an easy A, almost failed the class because I hated yoga. It was like literally the worst class I ever took in college. And then fast forward to now, I'm not 22 anymore. I'm 30 years old and it's literally what I do for a living. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I hated it. That's so funny. I'm, you know, it's funny because I feel like people would be like, oh, yoga this and yoga that to me. And I'm like, mm -mm, you people, this is not my thing. I don't bend that way. And yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to do the slow whatever. And they're just like, you should give it a try. And it's like, at some point I stopped being like, I would never do yoga because too many times have I said I would never do insert physical activity, fitness, thing, like life thing, period. I don't know. I would never live in New York. I would Look never, you, you know, whatever. Like, I don't want to live above the Mason-Dixon line because it's too cold. And here I am. So I always say to people as well, I feel like yoga is hard, right? Yeah. It, it's slower, but you are putting yourself into very uncomfortable physical positions. And when you're in those postures, You've got emotional stuff that comes up. And so most people don't go to yoga necessarily because they're so excited about yoga. They go to yoga because they need it for something else in their life. Mm -hmm. So for me, I really started practicing at a time where I was trying to lose weight and I had set a goal of training for or of completing a half marathon. And I was actually our mutual friend, Bianca, yep. who started to train me. And we had an interesting training plan because I started the training process just barely under 200 pounds and my ability to go out and run a mile comfortably was, it was not there. Um, and the ego side of that was, I grew up a very competitive athlete. So 
played lots of sports growing up, was very successful on the court, on the field. But when I went to college, I completely fell off of that path. I really got heavy into partying. And that's probably why I hated a Friday morning yoga class. You can fill in the blank there. But in an effort to avoid injury, yoga three days a week was a really, really great complement to my training. And I was fortunate at the time to be working at Nike in Beaverton, Oregon, where they offered those classes during lunch. So very easily, I would step away from my desk, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, go to a yoga class. And so over the course of those six months that I was training, I lost 35 pounds. I was able to cross the finish line um, in under an hour and 50 minutes, which was a goal that we kind of kept chipping away at as I would get faster, as I would lose weight, my, um, my ability to kind of get back into that athlete that I had been before college, before the partying years was coming back into play. But it was really, I think, the yoga that allowed me to do it injury-free. Yeah, no, having just kind of really started doing yoga on a consistent basis, I can definitely see where had I been doing it when doing training and things like that I may have been a little less like creaky. I, I've never really, knock on wood, have been injured in the sense of like, I guess I had right before my second marathon, I had like a plantar fasciitis flare up kind of oh, thing. Those are the worst. Like, we're talking two weeks before or two and a half Uh. weeks before. Oh no, I went the straight up athlete route of, um, I went to a podiatrist who is, um, he treats the Atlanta Falcons players and whatnot on the field, like the whole, I was like, and so I have this marathon and this is not an option to cancel. I need, we need to be fixed. And so we we did a quarter zone shot and he put me on like rest and all this stuff. And it wasn't a huge deal to be on rest other than the mental part of being on rest yeah because I was in taper land and and it's funny because being coached by a, a former Olympian she's like okay yeah you need to go to the doctor and she says nothing else at all because she knows that I'm I'm gonna be like mm, go to the doctor but then they might tell me whatever and she already knew what they were gonna do in the whole yeah. nine yards and he wasn't gonna yeah. tell me not to um do the marathon because everybody involved in that knew what the end goal was and that I wasn't gonna like give it up or anything like yeah. that. But it's it's interesting because I wonder if like more stretching in a concentrated effort and just like different movements and then just the body awareness that you get in a yoga mm-hmm. practice. I feel like that's what I have learned recently. But as a person who instructs people in doing yoga, what, I guess, what's the first kind of thing that you tell people when they're trying to start this and they've never been kind of body aware and know how you move and things like that? Yeah, I think one of the most challenging pieces for me when I first started practicing was comparing myself to the other people in the room. Mm -hmm. And so as a former soccer, basketball, lacrosse, or my sports, I was never very flexible. So understanding that the people next to me, they maybe were born with that flexibility or had been practicing for a very long time. That was hard to let go of, but then once I did, and once I get my students to let go of that, and I start to instruct them to understand more of the patterns and what we're supposed to be feeling in a pose and educating people as to why we're doing a particular flow or series, there's an appreciation for how it's helping you as the individual as compared to 
what the people around you are doing and getting into that peak pose. And I think that's something you and I have talked about at great length of, yeah. okay, what works for you today? What old injuries are coming up? Why is this pose not accessible? And how can we swap it out? One of my big things, especially working with athletes, and I call them kind of high performers, um, whether it's a corporate client or my students at Harvard, is how can we do more with less? So how can we make the smallest of adjustments in a pose, um, in our breath, in what we're focusing on, so that way we can we can reserve that effort for something that requires more. Don't waste it in your yoga class. This isn't where we need to be beating a time. This isn't where we need to be pushing the most weight, especially for my high performers. This is where we reset. I, lo- I love the concept of the reset and using that as the basis, especially when you're folding in yoga practice to all the other things that you do, whether it just mm-hmm. be a busy lifestyle that's not necessarily fitness or focused yeah. and also the athlete. How did you, I guess, how did you get to the point of the reset is really the purpose or that's what you want to deliver to your students? Yeah. Um, I, so I left my job at a design agency. I was there for about three and a half years and decided to pursue yoga full time, knowing that I wanted to work with athletes. I moved to Boston because There's literally probably no other city in the world that has so many college and professional athletes in it. Um, And when I was working with those athletes in particular, they have their strength coaches, they have their team coaches, they've got their, they've got everything on staff, right? And so the, it was actually a conversation with one of my volleyball players and she just couldn't wrap her head around why should she be doing yoga right now? She has all these other things to do. And we started to talk about, well, you know that you have to go study. You just got done. You know that you should be stretching and you just got done with practice. So can we use these 30 minutes together to get your stretch in, but also reset your mind so you're ready to go into your studying? And I think when I had that conversation with her, it was this unlock for me as to how to invite people in and really get them to appreciate this practice as both that physical reset, but also the mental reset, because so many of us are constantly going. And that was for me, working at the design agency, I had started to figure out a pretty good routine for my physical fitness, but mental health was out the door. I was answering emails from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. constantly on, um, and it wasn't until I kind of reconnected with the yoga practice that I realized even when I was running, even when I was practicing, there was so much pressure to always be doing that only when I was on my mat for those 75 minutes at six o'clock every night that I was fully able to be present and reset. I like that. No, I, I think that's kind of what appealed to me too, is I started doing yoga. What, what, how long has the reset been? And I think I came in in the second season. So what are we talking like yeah. four months, maybe four, five months? Yeah, it's like four or five months now. God. Wild. That's bananas. Yeah. But in the, like, I was like, I need something because I'm used to moving a lot, whether it just be wa- walking to or from. And I talked a little bit about what I, my like kind of current routine in episode 23 or four, I think it is, but, and how the yoga practice is kind of like integrated in. But I think the appeal of, I don't have to leave my house. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have a lot of time to show up to 
be able to say hi to an actual human. It's not just like a video recording and the, the kind of personal touch of the adjustments that need to be made so that each individual can meet on your mat and in a pose that is where they are at the current place. So I I love the idea. And, and I like the idea of multitasking, even though you're really not multitasking when you're doing, I mean, you're multitasking that you're resetting yourself and getting yourself prepared so that you can be more efficient in other places, but you're doing that one singular thing. And so I, I definitely, that appeals to you. I like to call myself the practical, less woo-woo-y kind of person. <laughs> but let's back up for a little bit. And let's, in case people don't actually know what the different parts of yoga are, because I know I don't. I know what you have told me. I know what I've experienced in other classes. But before we, we were chatting before we got started into the actual interview part of it, and you mentioned that there are it's an eight limb system. And mm-hmm. can you give us, can you give us a like quick rundown of what that is so that people can yeah. see where yeah. the different places so are? In yoga, and I'm just going to kind of touch on the three that I think are, are, are the doing of yoga. So we have our asana practice, with, which is your movement practice. It's your down dogs and your vinyasas, all of those. Then you've got your pranayama, which is your breath work. And then you have um, meditation. So let's just focus on those three for the purpose of this conversation in that we're able to do in those, in those, um, in those limbs. And I think when we start to consider weaving all of those together and using your asana practice as really this way to clear out the blocks of your body So that way the breath, your pranayama practice, you're able to sit in an easy pose, which isn't actually that easy. You're sitting tall, you're cross-legged on the floor. You're doing your pranayama practice. Um, The breath flows more easily if your body isn't tight. So if your shoulders are rounded forward, if your low back is creaky, if you can't maintain this posture, that's why we use our movement practice because we want to be able to breathe in and out that prana, that life force. Now I'm going to get a little woo-woo. Um, for it. So then the goal of being able to utilize the breath is then to be able to kind of drop into this meditative state. And so meditation, I wouldn't say is necessarily stilling of the mind. And I think that's a common misconception for people as they start a meditation practice. It's more about being able to observe the, observe the fluctuations of the mind without judgment, without attachment. I know that's a really challenging piece for me. So using a movement practice, using a breath practice to then be able to settle in to this place of hopefully it's flirting towards mostly stillness, but really being able to sit there and say, okay, what's going on today? How am I feeling? Not getting too attached to those feelings then you really start to find that stillness of yes, both your physical body, but also of your mind. Um, And I think that's something, especially here in the United States, we do not prioritize stillness enough. And so if we look at these different limbs, these different ways to kind of find our way into stillness, and then the other parts of the practice are, what are you taking in. So what are you eating? What are you looking at on social media? All of those different things. What are you absorbing? That plays into your ability to find stillness. Um, Who are you engaging with? 
Um, how do you treat yourself? How do you show up to your practice? The yamas, the niyamas, we've got all of these different pieces, right? These eight different parts of a wheel, but the goal is to find that place where you can be centered in the center of that wheel and just kind of be. So there you go, guys, a little education on different parts of yoga and how it sort of kind of ties together. Cause I know I'm, I'm a super practical person and I'm like, what's the checklist? How do I bend this way and that way? And learning to kind of relax a little bit and, or maybe, maybe a whole lot. Maybe it's not just a little bit of relaxing and then knowing, but knowing the purpose helps you get to the point of being able to get where, um, your crazy yoga teacher has just told you to bend and twist and, you know, put your arm someplace. (laughs) It sounds deceptively simple, but then you're like, wait a minute. Yep. How do I get there? And that like transition time is good in terms of just taking that, okay, I have to transition to get to a point regardless of what I'm doing. And knowing that if you kind of follow the steps or and adjust where you need for your own kind of personal movement and your personal, like how your body moves mm-hmm. translates to all the things in your life, which as a person who was like, I'm yoga, not for me, it's sort of like, oh, maybe, maybe this is the key or at least one of the keys to help unlock other things and be able to translate it. Can you take what you learn on the mat for however long you're doing it, whether it be 10 minutes or an hour and a half and apply it to the rest of your journey to kind of keep it moving forward, which is how, how we end up here chatting about yoga and life and fitness journeys and yeah. all the things because all things kind of on the journey attached to each other. It's not like a one like insular piece and learning that and figuring out how can you learn how to connect all the dots together is a, mm-hmm. is a whole thing. And I'm currently using yoga to do that and um, also keep me sane in my day job because I had to tell them like, oh no, I, I have a... I have a yoga class at six o'clock, so I'm going to go offline. I may come back on, but I yep. need that. And luckily I work at a place where they recognize that you definitely need to unplug sometimes. And yeah. It is when it's really busy, the team comes together and kind of supports that. And I come yeah. back. I know that after I get done, I come back with a different mindset and I, I'm also able to do the, do I really need to be doing this at 8 p.m.? Or can I do it tomorrow yeah. thing, or come back refreshed and ready to go? It's similar to the like lunchtime workout. Yes. Giving you that energy boost. That all being said, um, what's the one thing that you encounter along your own journey that is sort of in the, in the headspace of like this hurdle that you have to overcome? And then how do you, what tools do you use in your um, bag of tricks to kind of overcome any kind of mental hurdles that you have that's not related necessarily to I can't run fast enough but I can't get myself to imagine that I can run fast enough yeah that's definitely been a beautiful part of the yoga practice for me when I began practicing during that half marathon training I could not touch my toes um, and I, and so I think seeing the progress of consistent right effort has been, it just opened my eyes to say, wow, if, if I show up almost every single day to my practice and I put forth that effort, look at what happens. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens after years and years of that discipline practice. 
But it starts to make you think about, I never thought a headstand would be possible. I never thought touching my toes would be possible. Now I have felt physically what is possible mentally in my meditation practices, especially my yoga nidra practice. I now have kind of experienced what could be, and it gives me that hope or it kind of lights that fire to say, you just need to be so committed to this work, so committed to this goal or this purpose um, that you're willing to show up every day. And who's to like, there is no limit when you, when you make that time, when you carve that time out for yourself. Yes, there are external factors that are going to play and they're going to push you off course from time to time. And I think that there are people... I'm very, very fortunate in the deck of cards that I've been handed. I am able-bodied. I, I have a lot of privilege that I think I can't not, not acknowledge. But at the same time, I had a ton of limiting beliefs growing up. And I would say even until about like 27, 28, even in the last six months, I, I say like COVID is one of the best things to happen to me personally, only because I was no longer trying to create a class that would appease to a certain time slot at a studio. I really started to do things on my own as I wanted to do them and people started to come. And so professionally, even when I show up and I live in my purpose, I live in my centered space, look at what starts to happen. And that never would have happened without my actual yoga practice of building that confidence day in and day out. Right. Speaking of confidence, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about confidence because people, they'll ask me, well, I mean, it took you nine hours or eight hours and 46 minutes because Bianca would get me if I didn't, it's not nine hours, it's less than nine hours to do the first marathon. How did you do that? Like, why, why would you do that? That kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, showing up is my superpower. And so that is, I, I showed up and yeah. I showed up for 20 weeks. And then I had people meet me along the way and in the journey and other people told me I could do it. So I was like, okay, well, these people have never lied to me. So I'll just believe them until I started to believe in myself. And then it's a little bit of stubbornness, but how does confidence, how has it impacted you? And how do you see confidence change as an instructor, change yoga practice? I know that's like a twofold question, but like, how does it impact you? Like, Mm -hmm. and then what's the, how does it, how do you see it impacting your students? Yeah. In terms of confidence, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a two-part answer. So when I am teaching and I say teaching over instructing or performing, Mm -hmm. that is where I'm energized. I get done with class. And I think you can probably, if if I tell you, so I loved when we had the four days a week, we had recenter, refine, reset, and recover. I loved the refined days where I was actually teaching. And that is where I felt really, really confident because I think that is my sweet spot of getting people who maybe don't think that a pose or a practice is accessible to them, but unlocking that pose for them. So in doing more of those types of classes, I built confidence to say, wait, most of the time when I was going into a studio, I was kind of performing. Mm. Now I get to step into the place where I'm not just instructing a flow, but I'm actually teaching a pose in these patterns. 
And in doing more of that and evaluating my energy, how I feel after teaching certain types of classes or events, that gave me the confidence because when I showed up as my best version, more people started to come. And so that's where I think for me, the reset has been so successful. I've still been doing virtual classes other places, but the reset has really started to take off because it's where I'm most confident. It's where I get to teach what I feel I really have to offer to the students that I work with. So let's talk about studio life and fitness and all Mm. the things, because as a person who does not look like and don't aspire to look like the traditional athletic person that's like yep. super skinny and bouncy and whatever. I mean, I bounce, don't get me wrong. Cause if you don't lock the twins <laughs> down, they bounce in everywhere, but, um, not bouncing on my toes and my knees. And you know, I need, I need all the modifications and things like that. So a, a yep. studio is not necessarily a place where I always feel comfortable, but I, in evaluating where I want to spend my money to like show up at a place, it's the teacher Mm-hmm. the person leading whatever the activity is and what's their approach to how they read the room and um, just put the workout together regardless of what it is. And you say now, so the reset was all online, it's Zoom and it's not, and you kind of found yourself in the teaching mode and loving that part of it. Mm-hmm. At some point, the outside will open back up again and and people in Buffalo Mason Dixon line will go into studios and gyms and things like that. Cause (laughs) the people in the South, they, they, they already in their places and they're doing their own thing. And, and let's just say my move wasn't a bad thing, but do you think that when, when, do you plan on going back into a studio? And then if you do, will you take what you have figured out and learned to, apply it in that in-person setting? Do you think it's even possible? Yes and no. So I absolutely plan on going back to in-person eventually. I say I used to teach at a studio. I really only taught at two though, prior to the shutdown. Most of what I did was bringing yoga to people that would not normally find themselves walking through the doors of a studio. Um, And that's, twofold. One is because high performers, a lot of times those are my corporate clients or they're my athletes. Their schedule is so busy. So making sure that I'm there for their lunch break or I'm there after practice, that was again, kind of my sweet spot. How do we fold yoga in? And the reason why I'm so passionate about bringing yoga, especially to college students, is because I think it gives you a skill set. It gives you a practice that you can take far beyond, far beyond your competitive days. Mm -hmm. So I think the navigating away from competitive sport or navigating away from peak performance, whether that is on the field or whether that is in the corporate environment is so key. And that identity piece is absolutely a drop off. So what I anticipate is, yeah, I'll, maybe do a little bit in the studios here and there, but I think ramping up what I've already been doing with those high performers, bringing yoga to them or very intentionally inviting them into those studio spaces will definitely be um, a key part of how I transition. The other piece is back when I was first working at Nike, I was much heavier. So, and I, 
sometimes I hesitate about putting the number on. So I weigh like 165 right now. I weighed 200 pounds. So that's a pretty significant difference just in terms of, we all know what it feels like to carry a 35 pounds in dumbbells. Like that is right. a lot to be carrying around every day. So when I was 35 pounds heavier, I was not comfortable going into group classes at all. Um, and so I would actually, I would go into the Nike gym, like right before it closed, probably 45 minutes before it closed. And I would turn on the Nike training club app and I would put myself through a workout and then I would sneak out. The reason I think that's important to say is the same trainers that were on the app, I could have taken their class at five o'clock in person. Mm. I could have taken their class at 12 o'clock in person, but I was so uncomfortable to go into that space because of like what you were just saying. I didn't feel like I fit the mold. Um, I wasn't confident. I think confidence is a huge piece. So when people say, I need to get in shape before I go back to the gym or I need to get in shape before I go back to class. I connect with those people and relate to them so, so much, which is why I think it's so important to bring the practice, bring fitness to people where they are in a way that allows them to start to build confidence to eventually go through the studio door, but it's going to take a while. And we need to understand that, those studio spaces, while they are wonderful in so many ways, I was so intimidated to take yoga for the longest time. Right. No, I mean, I say my superpower is showing up and yeah. I didn't kind of rest in that idea that it is a superpower to show up until I started having conversations with people just about yeah. like, hey, you want to go to this class with me? And they're like, yeah, nope. And I'm like, but come on, it'll be fun. And they're like, yeah, that's not happening. And mm-hmm. and like, then it's the, okay, why? And they're like, yeah, no, I don't look like that person or I don't feel like I'm not gonna be able to keep up or that kind of thing. And then I started, cause I show up and I'm stubborn and I'm just like, you may not want me here, but I pay my money just like everybody else. And you're going to give me the value for my dollar. Yes. And I tend to kind of speak up or at least I express my opinion, whether they want it or not, the <laughs> end of the class. And sometimes I try and be tactful about it. Other times I'm just like, I don't have time for this. Let me tell you how this, I'm, here's why I'm not going to come back. Cause I feel like I would be a person who, if I taught something or led something and then people didn't come back, I'd want to know why. And yeah. so I do that courtesy to them, whether they wanted the courtesy or not. <laughs> and but people start to think about it and the places where you show up again, cause it's a gym for instance, and the same instructors are there and then you run into them and they're like, Hey, so I thought about this and can you give my class a try again? And we'll do these things. Or can you ask me for these modifications or let's have a conversation before or after yeah. making it a more inviting kind of comforting place. And then, then I, as a person who likes to tell people all the things about what I'm doing on the health and fitness aspect of it, at least can say like this person actually took the feedback and applied it and adjusts so that it's accommodating for you. And some people don't, some people do it and some people don't. And so you have to find mm-hmm. the right fit for you. And I do think that that's kind of part of it. But I also think the culture of a studio tends to yeah. live in a land of privilege. You have to be able to afford going and doing. Yeah. And, uh, but I do find that the, the classes that I enjoy the most and the things that I make the extra effort for are the people who understand that you need to meet people where they are, but that does not mean you let them stay where they are. It's just meeting them where they are and showing them how you can kind of grease the skids and move a little bit faster and smoother and whatever it is, or just make that one step with them and recognize that 
you had an impact on that one step, but you may not be the person that takes them all the way and kind of support, but is a support system rather than it being a numbers game or like, let's get the people in. And I only want to recognize the people who lift the heaviest and do the most number of reps and in those kinds of things. But speaking of like superpowers, what is your superpower? I think my superpower is connecting with others. Mm -hmm. And I think it's both the relationships that I have with other people, but also my ability to connect new people together. So for example, if I hear that one of my friends is starting a new business and I have a conversation with another colleague, they seem like they could be a good fit. I'm a pretty good matchmaker, especially professionally, especially when people are kind of starting out. So recognizing potential in somebody and introducing them to the right people or putting them on the right platforms. Because I think I'll go back to this place of privilege. I have a lot of connections, a lot of places that I did not necessarily earn. Yes, I've been able to maintain them, but they were handed to me. And so I think my ability to bring people and connect them to sit with me at that table, especially I'm realizing now has turned into one of my greatest superpowers. She doesn't lie to you people. She doesn't lie. (laughs) It is, it is interesting to me. I feel like it takes a, it definitely takes a special kind of person to recognize that people need to be brought together and that it's not just like kismet, especially when it does happen to be kismet in their and how they met someone or it was handed to them and recognizing that someone else played a role in it. And so then I need to pass that torch along or make that connection between two people and just caring enough that it's not all about me, but it's about us. And uh-huh. so that like kind of team aspect of it and kind of making people, having people get a connection and uh-huh. maintain that connection. And then but it takes a whole lot to be able to figure out, like, you have asked me for something, say, like, someone asked you for an introduction and being able to tell them, like, um, here's where this connection may not serve you well, but here's another yeah. one that might and those kinds of things. Yeah. So, and I think my greatest matchmaking connections happen when nobody asked me for them. Hmm. And I, I do it quite frequently. I hear about an opportunity and I I recognize I might not be the right fit, but I know somebody who would be, or maybe it's not aligned with what my mission, what my purpose is in that chapter. And so I can say, I can't speak to that, but I know somebody who could, may I introduce you? Or, hey, I heard you're uh, having these pain points in developing your business or your strategy of creating community. I have a person here who I would love to introduce you because I think that they could really help you with those things. And um, that goes, I think it's first my ability to connect with people on that deeper level pretty quickly and then listening for those opportunities to then connect people that are in my circle. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. I, you know, it's funny because TJ tells it, came about because people kept telling me I needed to share all the random things with all the people because I, and it's my running community that started it. And I did as a volunteer run lead, I'd have a pack of people who'd show up and they'd follow me around. And you're just like, why? Like, 
I don't know because I'm like, but that's how I started too. I'm like, okay, I signed up for this training plan. Let's let's do this. I need some support, and so then I wanted to give back. And mm-hmm. people were telling me you need to tell all the things. And so w- when I came up with the name, it was in a conversation with someone else, and they're like, but you tell about more than just health and fitness and those types of things. So yeah, think long term. And so we called it TJ tells it. And I sometimes will make that one-on-one connection with people, but I'm like, here's all the information so that the people like you can say like, oh, I heard this great thing on TJ Tells It podcast. And I think that would be a great tip for you. And mm-hmm. here's how you can make that connection and, and kind of bringing people together. But I like to give the tools so that other people can do yeah. that. And, and that's so important because people do it for me in my life when I don't even realize it and you get a little bit further along where you need to go because other people are paying attention and caring enough to be not self-centered about everything or realizing that maybe you are self-centered, but you want your friends to be happy so that you're happy too when you deal with them. And it's kind of a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. I had somebody ask me, cause I moved to Boston about two and a half years ago now. And I think when you move in your late twenties and you're not moving into a job, you're going to create a career. It's a very, very different social scene. And so somebody asked me towards the beginning of COVID, he was like, so how has it been making friends in Boston? And Boston is a tough city to make friends. I'm sure most cities are, but Boston in general, a lot of people come here for school. A lot of people have grown up in the area. And so I definitely felt like I was kind of on the outskirts for a very long time. And there's a lot of time that I still feel that way. I think that there are certain people that kind of picked me up and invited me to do really cool events, really cool activations. But at the same time, I don't really belong to a studio. I don't really have that big group of friends. But what I did realize is I have such strong individual friendships that I can rely on these people day in and day out. We can have fun together. We, a lot of my friends are in very similar situations where they have that startup spirit. They're chasing after their own goals, their own dreams. So yes, we talk about a lot of personal stuff, but there's so much bleed over between our personal lives and our professional pursuit that makes these types of relationships so different than anything that I've ever had. And so while the quantity may not be there and how I was used to it being in Portland, Oregon, because I had gone to school there and grown up there and was raised there, the quality of friendships now is so, so strong. And I think as you get older and as you start to pursue these, these different things, that is really important because you don't have as much time. And, and, and COVID, I think, adds another different layer onto that. Who can you, who do you have fun with? Those people you don't maybe talk to as much because you can't go do the fun things. So it's a different type of connection for friendships, at least for me as a 30-year-old, working for myself, spending most of my time by myself, but still having that inner circle that is stronger than ever. I, I love that. As a person who just picked up their life from where they grew up and lived and came back to you and all the things and then moved up. I definitely paid attention to who, who do I still talk to on a weekly basis? And Mm -hmm. I still have that same fun, whether we're physically present or not. And then who, who are the people? Cause I can be bad about just like being 
where I am and just like insular and not necessarily maintaining the connections that I have on a consistent basis. Who are the people who made it part of my routine without even realizing it? Who are the people who call me every week? Who, who Hey, how's it going up there? You know, those kinds of things and appreciating the quality that comes from that. And it's not necessarily about quantity because I feel like in the younger years, it was definitely all about quantity or you see, it wasn't all about it, but you see people and like, why does that person have 20 friends and whatever, Mm -hmm. but recognizing that it's, it really is about the quality of what kinds of connections you have with people and can you have the tough conversations and are they on the same page and on the same page? And then how's that dealt with and like mental headspace of it all. And it is a different thing when you are paying attention to it and um, you see who, who serves what purpose in your life. It's, yeah. it's kind of, some people may see that as callous, but everybody serves a purpose in your life, whether it's really? to teach you a lesson and then be gone. What is it? The Ariana Grande, thank you next kind of thing. Yeah. I think that connected with so many people because it's just true. Like you can, you can put a person in all of those. Thank you next. Categories. Oh yeah. And then can I get a few people. more of those? <laughs> Um, even beyond your like love life and that kind of thing but just like placing the people but being aware that you need to say thank you next or that kind of thing is a huge kind of mental part of like being well Mm because I like to say this is not just about the food that you eat and the movement that you do but it's also about being well in the sense of are you do you feel well and um, just because you're, you can run a four minute mile or whatever it is, that doesn't yeah. mean that you're, you're at peak because yeah. you may not be well. And I would say you're at peak, but you're also at peace. Right. And so if we look at, you know, when I was maybe my very, very fastest, was I sacrificing my connection to others? Absolutely. And I think mm-hmm. that's the difference. And that's why I'm so proud of where I am at 30 compared to where I was at 22 or 25, even 28 is I feel like slowly, but surely some of the lessons they keep showing up until you learn them, but starting to learn them. I really take into consideration energy. I do a lot of energy evaluating both after workouts, but also after, I know you're giving me a look, you're like, here comes the woo woo. (laughs) But I evaluate like, how do I energetically feel after I've had a conversation with a person? How do I energetically feel after I taught at that particular studio? How do I energetically feel after I went and did a three mile run? And taking that information and just being more aware of how everything starts to impact everything else. When I eat certain food, I get really lethargic and I have to be pretty disciplined with my diet because I do, I have had a lot of gut health stuff going on and, and you just start to realize like, okay, that peak is also peace. And so when Mm -hmm. you start to look at it from that sense, I think it becomes a bit easier to pick and choose who you interact with, what you take in, what workouts you do, what meditation practices you do, because it really is all about that holistic wellness. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Taryn and all about the holistic wellness that comes along with a yoga practice as well as her health and fitness journey and the things that she is teaching me as well as the rest of our yoga class. 
when we are doing the reset my Taryn Burns. Next time we'll pick up where I may or may not admit to you becoming woo, but I do bring it back for us practical folks and get some tips and tricks on how to do energy evaluations and figuring out what things are working for you and not working for you in more than just the physical sense, but the metaphysical as well. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time for another Straight Talk episode of the TJ Tells It podcast. You can find all the archives and show notes at tjtellsit.com forward slash podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing through your favorite app. In between, you can follow my journey on Instagram by following at tjtellsit. Keep in mind, this is a one step at a time, always moving forward journey. I'm TJ and I'm telling you.